Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I'm not really a well-educated man. Many of you know that. A lot of you have degrees. Many of you have two degrees from the University of Georgia. I am envious of you in that regard. I do not. So when it comes to stuff like this, I have to be pretty careful, right? Using too many big words, I have a risk of perhaps using it incorrectly, but I believe I'm using this right. There is a paradox when it comes to being a Georgia fan that kind of sometimes comes into focus in a week like we're in right now. And here's how the paradox works. On the one hand, you want Georgia to be as great as it can possibly be and therefore go out and dominate all of its rivals. But on the other hand, at least for me, I want Georgia's rivalry games to matter. I love rivalry games. I've kind of marked time with Georgia's rivalry games my entire life. I hope I'm always doing that for the rest of the time that I have here on this earth. I just love the college football rivalry games. But weird things happen for Georgia in that it has gotten so good that it has taken so much food off the table of its rivals. All of a sudden now it sort of feels like from time to time that some of Georgia's rivalry games don't quite matter as much as they used to. And so when you have a situation like this, the renewal of the Deep South's oldest rivalry between Georgia and Auburn on Saturday, one of the questions get asked is, okay, well, what exactly does this rivalry game mean here right now? And how do these two rivals feel about each other? Yesterday on the show, we talked a lot about what Hugh Freeze had said about his feelings about Georgia. And I don't have time to play the entire clip that Freeze gave you yesterday, but I do want to kind of give you a little bit of a, just a quick synopsis of Hugh Freeze's overall feelings about Georgia. This is kind of in a roundabout way, you know, Freeze's feelings about Georgia and Georgia fans here right now. The message that I bring to you today is a message of love. Yes, love. L-O-B-E, love. So in a roundabout way, that's at least a reasonable facsimile of what Hugh Free said yesterday about how much he just loves Georgia fans and just loves everybody and just love just love. It's just about love. It's not about it's not about hate. It's about love. And I just I love you. He just loves everybody, much like Brother Love did back in the old days of the uh, WWF. Hugh Free just loves. It's just love. It's just love for him. Well, last night Kirby Smart was asked in light of Hugh Free's love and everybody. Hugh Freeze uh, saying, it's not about hate. We don't want to hate Georgia. After all, if we hate them, they may beat us 50 to nothing. So therefore, we really don't want to hate them. You know, Kirby Smart was asked, and it was actually uh, our buddy Mike Griffith, who will join us here in a minute, uh, that asked Kirby about uh, the Georgia-Auburn rivalry. He kind of made the comparison to the uh, the Iron Bowl rivalry between Alabama and Auburn. And so Kirby had his turn to kind of talk about exactly the way that he feels about this rivalry game. And you might imagine he didn't quite sound as much like Brother Love when he was talking. And this is what Kirby said very candidly about his feelings about the rivalry games that Georgia plays. Here's Kirby. Georgia-Auburn is a border war rivalry. Uh, Alabama-Auburn's obviously an in-state rivalry. That's that's on another whole level of difference from, from being over there because they, they live with it 365 days. You know, we share that with several other out-of-state rivalries. Um, there's no diminishing of a rivalry. I, I tend to agree with with. 
Coach Freeze, you know, it's, it's, it's not about hate for me. I, I don't, you know, I don't look at it as I hate any of their players. I recruited a lot of them. I don't look at it as I hate any of their coaches because I like a lot of their coaches. I've, I've known all those guys for a long time. I have a lot of respect for Hugh. I look at it as a, a hell of a fierce rivalry, and that's really why you do this business. Like, why you get in this business is to play in these type games and this type atmosphere, you know. Fan bases may not like to hear that because they like to, you know, they like to hate each other. That's not, not a lot of difference in our, our fans and their fans a lot of times. I mean, in terms of where they're from, uh, that kind of thing, our, our, our players are similar to their players. So I have respect for them, not hate. There's a lot you can unpack about what Kirby Smart said there about the sort of similarities between Georgia and Auburn fans and yet still kind of finding a way to hate each other. There's probably a pretty interesting discussion to be had there, which we'll probably maybe save for another time. But but the other kind of big takeaway that you have there from Kirby is his honest acknowledgement right there at the end of, you know, fans don't really want to hear this, but I know some of these Auburn coaches and I like them. I've recruited some of these Auburn players and I like them. That the level of hatred that fans enjoy having for each other that's not necessarily what we have on the field. And there are a lot of reasons that Kirby Smart possibly says what he says. I, I do believe that while hatred's a pretty good motivator want to tune in and watch a game, I don't know that it's necessarily always the best motivator for how you want to play a game. It is a fuel, but it's possibly at times a fuel that doesn't burn particularly efficiently. Perhaps in your own life, you've noticed that, that, uh, that sometimes, you know, hatred makes you want to be a better version of yourself. Oftentimes it just sort of makes you sort of spin with sideways energy. I have kind of found sometimes, and perhaps that's why, you know, Kirby smart sort of says what he says there. And he acknowledges that, Hey, my own fans and they love me. He might, be willing to say my own fans they love me but they probably don't love it when I say this and to a certain extent that's kind of true this is one of those things I believe that at least for me and I'm just going to speak as a just a normal human being here for a moment um, as a human being my initial instincts are probably incorrect because my initial instincts is you, you kind of want to say, oh, Kirby, don't say that. You know, give us some red meat here. You know, give us something we want to hear. Don't Even if it's true, don't say that. Don't say, first of all, never agree with Hugh Freeze on anything, first of all. But second of all, you know, don't say, ah, uh, you know, we don't have the hatred. Fans have that, but we don't have that. Instinctively, you kind of want that to be true, especially in the current world in which we're living in, in which we have never seen more wrestling promos from college football coaches than we've seen this year. You know, Dion's gotten it started. And to Dion's credit, I think a lot of what we've seen in college football this year has been kind of an offshoot of the personality that Dion has shown as a head coach. You had the Dan Lanning stuff in the locker room last week. You know, they're fighting for clicks. We're fighting for wins. You had Ryan Day going into his falsetto to get mad at 86-year-old Lou, 86-year-old Lou Holtz because Holtz had gone and done some comedic bit on the Pat McAfee show about, um, about you know, Ohio State, Notre Dame. You had the Washington State coach. It's been a very big week for coaches calling out, you know, near, uh, you know, octogenarians, you know, uh, you know, uh, 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 Lee Corso in college game day, uh, he's a pretty old man himself. And you had the Washington State coach calling him out for some of the stuff that he had said on game day. We've got a lot of coaches sort of acting in this very sort of visceral and emotional way. And 
I think instinctively our first thought is, yeah, I want Kirby Smart to do that. The stuff that he does behind the scenes, the, you know, I want you to eat speech or the you just laugh and point the scoreboard speech from Florida in 2021 or some of this other stuff. I want him to do more of that kind of stuff publicly. Remember after the 2019 Auburn game when he said uh, HBTFD and everybody had a big laugh from that? I want him to do more of that kind of stuff. I want to see more of Kirby's personality the same way we see some of these other coaches' personalities, at least this year, on a pretty regular basis. I would say as a Georgia fan, that is what my first instinct is. And so I'm probably in the category that Kirby referenced there of some fans that don't love it when I say, well, I don't quite hate this team, perhaps the way that some fans do. But as I said, even though instinctively, that's probably the first reaction that I have upon further reflection, I think Kirby Smart with his overall demeanor here probably gets it right. There is an element in which I think deep down we all know that Smart is not particularly genuine with some of this kind of stuff, that Smart portrays one thing publicly while portraying something else privately. And we have talked to plenty of players who played at Georgia who will tell you that behind the scenes, oh, Kirby hates these rivals. Kirby wants to go out and beat these rivals. He doesn't say that publicly, but privately he says that plenty. And we've had people that have kind of relayed secondhand what Kirby Smart has said in that regard. And Smart seemingly, from the very beginning of his coaching life, has sort of had an understanding of if you want to be a real leader of men, if you want to be a man who leads other men, you can't be all up in your feelings all the time, right? You can't be talking about what you hate, and you can't be talking about what you love, and you can't be talking about how sad you are or how mad you are. or You, 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 you can't be Ryan Day on the field, you know, complaining, Lou Holtz said we weren't tough. You, you just can't be doing that kind of stuff if you want to lead men. You have got to be a little more in the pocket in terms of your own emotional projection. It just seems like that's true, and it seems like Smart has sort of always understood that's true. So do we take Kirby Smart at face value when he says, I don't hate Auburn? No. I've seen him fake a punt against or fake a field goal against Auburn late in the game to tack on extra points. You know, I've seen him say HBA. HBTFD in the locker room after beating him in 2019. I have seen too much evidence over the years to lead me to believe that this is just another game to Kirby Smart. He doesn't have hatred for any of these people. But we certainly understand publicly why Smart doesn't quite give the game away in terms of his emotional feelings every single moment. In fact, just this week, we had a little bit more of insight into kind of why this is true and just how true this is. Reese Davis, who admittedly we've had our, you know, uh, share of shots taken at thus far this season. We actually going to say something good about him now because he was on one of those ESPN podcasts of the other day, and they were talking about all of these very emotional coaches we have in college football right now: the Ryan Days and the Dan Landings, who I don't mind Landing, uh, but you know you get my point. Dion, the Washington State coach, all these coaches who are just cutting promos left and right. They're mad at this guy. They're sad about this. They're whatever all the time. Uh, we've had a lot of emotional coaches here this year. And in light of that, Reese Davis told a story going back to 2017, which Hugh Freeze, he should be aware of. This was Kirby Smart's second year. I don't know what Freeze was doing in 2017, but uh, this is Kirby Smart's second year. Got Georgia to the national championship game in his second year. Hugh Freeze was flabbergasted to hear that yesterday, but that is true. Um, and after that game, Reese Davis told a really good story about Kirby Smart. This is from this week on an ESPN podcast. The reason why I'm playing this for you is – it's a little bit of an example of what Kirby Smart is also doing when he talks about the Georgia-Auburn rivalry. 
he is not necessarily going to give you all of his feelings publicly. Even though instinctively, sometimes we wish he probably would, Smart has sort of determined that projecting one thing publicly and projecting something else privately is the better overall strategy for his success. And obviously, who can deny those results? So for some extra context here, this is Reese Davis on an ESPN podcast this week. He was handling it like the consummate pro and gentleman that he is obviously disappointed obviously crestfallen at being that close to a championship and and having it get away and he's handling everything just as you would expect you know from a from a coach of his caliber you know showing the disappointment but controlling the emotions we finish our you know our chat he walks out of the room where we were and there's this big metal locker as he walked out of the room and there was kind of no one else around except me and my cameraman kirby and whoever was walking with kirby and just before he exited the door to head back to the locker room he turns and punches that that metal locker you know gives it a a big shot as if you know he has maintained held it held it held it knows he's gonna when he takes a step outside that door he's got to hold it again and be the leader but that little moment boom absolutely human but maintained the composure both before and after yeah sort of like the consummate pro that he is isn't that a fascinating story reese davis saying after the disappointing loss in 2017 smart stood there talked to me kept his composure knew he was gonna have to show composure again to his players but in a private moment took his fist punched a locker because of the feeling he was feeling inside privately filled with emotion but wanting to project that publicly no he wasn't he wanted to be the consummate pro and display the same kind of poker face that we see from him a lot And if you think about it that's the same kind of behavior he shows in the sidelines a lot too right I mean smart is as animated as every coach I've ever seen but we don't see you know he wears the visor we don't see him throw the visor down like Steve Spurrier used to do or slam a headset or stuff like that. He screams and yells all the time, and he obviously does some very intense coaching on the sideline. But those outbursts of anger that some coaches have, I'm having a hard time actually remembering Smart doing one of those things in terms of like slamming a fist or throwing something or something like that, that that visible sign of frustration. Because that's the thing that when you're on the other side of that, when you see a coach slam down a headset or throw down a visor, that's when you know you've got him. I think the overall story here is Kirby Smart never wants to let it be known that he got got. He's not going to show you the fist slam, but you better believe if Kirby Smart loses a game, his competitive fire, of course, forces him to want to let out some of that anger. And you better believe as a Georgia alumnus and someone who has taken great pleasure in winning all these rivalry games, of course, Kirby Smart hates Auburn. We've we've, we've got enough evidence of that. But is he going to give that away for free during a press conference? No, he's not. Instinctively, sometimes we sort of, you know, wish he would. Those of us who, you know, kind of live in this cultural age now where it seems like all these coaches are always giving these, you know, viral video wrestling promo type speeches. We wouldn't mind hearing a little bit more of that from Kirby. Every time we get one of those leaked intentionally or unintentionally, whatever it is, it's always well received. It's always a ton of fun. But Smart has decided that the recipe for his success is to be a little bit more buttoned up than that when he is projecting himself publicly. When it's the media watching, when it's fans watching, there's a certain way that Kirby Smart chooses to behave. But when it's private, he is as emotional and driven and passionate as anybody could possibly be. And that recipe for when to show it, when not to show it, clearly works well for him. He likes to show it on the field. And if history is our guide, 
that could mean Auburn's in some real trouble on Saturday afternoon. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Breda Pass Management. We're happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today, live on video, 945, first and 15, dognation.com, dognation app, 10 a.m. after that, across all video platforms. Of course, radio, Athens Sports Radio 960, The Ref, and podcast. Everywhere you find them, you can find Dog Nation Daily there as well. And we certainly appreciate our friends from Breda Pass Management bringing the show to us here today and of course you hear me talk about Breda Pest Management a lot by now you know they are the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics that's the kind of strength they've been recognized for having a company been in business since 1975 125 employees all over the place taking good care of people just like you when it comes to their termite protection and keeping bugs and critters and things like that out of your house it's that time of year which sort of seems like more things are trying to get inside does it feel like that way to you because get a little cooler outside and therefore these i don't know roaches and things like that are i'm not a scientist so i can't tell you why this is but it just seems like some of these roaches and stuff are trying to get inside more than ever well you want to keep all that out right you want to keep it where it's supposed to be and that's what braided pass manager can do for you but here's the thing there as well the company you've been working with perhaps you're getting that letter in the mail cost of service is going up while the quality of the service from the company that you're currently working with is perhaps going down that's why you need to make the switch to Breda pest management the official pest control provider of uga athletics they're gonna put more money into your pocket boom instantly just for making that decision you're gonna be saving right away when you make the switch to Breda pest management so please find them online it's bradapest.com that's b-r-e-d-a bradapest.com the official pest control provider of uga athletics good friends of ours here on dog nation daily can also serve you as well and you're going to be very very happy with that service because it's going to save you money and uh, lots of it over the course of the long haul so check them out online bradapest.com b-r-e-d-a bradapest.com busy show for us jake Fromm here coming up in a couple of minutes uh mike griffith also before that but prior to any of that let us go around the doghouse presented today by our friends at dr pepper always happy to have dr pepper pouring around the doghouse for us here on dog nation daily and we said a moment ago that sometimes there is a public projection from kirby smart that perhaps doesn't fully mirror what's happening behind the scenes privately and sometimes that's maybe also true with the injury situation there as well where we are left to kind of read between the lines about certain injury type deals for georgia so i want to kind of run through a few things from last night latest updates on Lad McConkey, running backs, a couple of big names defensively. And let us see if we can figure out what all of this means. Starting with Lad McConkey, maybe a little more hopeful than it's been on McConkey, at least for one pretty tangible reason. This is Kirby's latest update on the status of a very important wide receiver to this Bulldogs offense. Here is Kirby on Lad. I don't know. Um, he did some things today. Uh, he got to practice. Uh, he didn't do much Monday. He, he ran routes and caught balls, and then today he got in plays and, and ran routes. And I, I saw him some, but I didn't get to see enough to really judge it. I'm going to go watch the tape of the periods I went over there with him and see what he looks like. We're just trying to progress him back slowly, whether it's this week in a roll or whether it's um, you know the future. Not trying, not trying to rush him back. So. We've been saying for a while that there was no way McConkey was playing as long as he wasn't practicing. That was just the obvious precursor to that. So I think you do take it as a positive that McConkey's back practicing, and that would lead me to believe that he could play at least some on Saturday. But here's the thing. The general idea that I operate on is, is that if you think a player's healthy, there's a chance he might be hurt 
But if you think a player's hurt, he probably is. So this idea that George is going to have, you know, Lab McConkey put a red cape on and come flying in and save the day for the Georgia offense, not that it necessarily needs saving. The numbers are actually looking pretty good here right now. But in terms of some sort of like dramatic improvement for the Georgia offense because a miraculously healed player steps out on there and changes everything, I don't get the impression that's what Saturday has in store for us, at least as it relates to Lad McConkey, based on what Kirby's saying there. Some practice means perhaps some playing, and maybe he makes a couple of big catches. You know, McConkey's one of those guys that can get behind a defense. He doesn't have to play a lot of snaps to have a big impact on a game, but being the sort of fully healthy guy that we saw be one of Georgia's most dominant players second half of last year, sounds like on the basis of that that's not quite what Lad McConkey is right now and I actually don't think Kirby Smart's probably sandbagging on that similar situation when it comes to the running backs here too Roderick Robinson Kendall Milton two guys that were not dressed last week how about their status for Saturday here is once again an update from Kirby Smart on that situation yeah Roderick hadn't gone much he's uh, been in the training room to them with the uh, the high ankle um but Kendall was able to go some today and did some stuff. Again, I, I saw him out there. I didn't get to see how much he did or how he looked doing it. I'll evaluate that on tape, but he was able to take reps and go and uh, cut and, and do some things. The positive spin I'll put on the running back situation right now is, is that Dejon Edwards looks like one half of a tandem that Georgia just always seems to have, right? A couple of good backs that give you what you need. And right now, Edwards is one half of that tandem. I think he's performed very well here the last couple of weeks. you got to try to figure out who your other guy is. And a Milton or a Robinson, who Smart discusses there, they're both obviously candidates to do that. I think there are probably some interesting ways that Georgia can use Dylan Bell that perhaps they haven't wanted to show yet. Maybe we see some more of that on Saturday. People throw out like the Debo Samuel comparison. Samuel's obviously you know, a great player both now for the San Francisco 49ers and formerly in the SEC for South Carolina. That's a pretty lofty goal to compare him to Samuel. But in terms of using him create uh, creatively, maybe as the season goes on, we'll see more of that. Cash Jones, pretty clearly he's going to have a role as we thought he probably would. That seemed to be part of the story here too. So, you know, maybe what you heard from Kendall there was – hopeful enough that he can be a bigger factor Saturday than he has been but I sort of put him for now in that same kind of Lad McConkey category of you know I'm not quite so sure he comes riding in on a white horse and saving anything on Saturday either he may be out there he may be playing and you'll take all hands on deck going on the road in the SEC but in terms of being you know full clean bill of health I don't know that I quite got that from Kirby Smart even reading between the lines and then on the other side of the ball, Mikael Williams missed last Saturday because of illness. Javon Bullard's been out now for a couple of weeks. Two very important players for this Georgia defense. What's the latest on them? Uh, Kirby Smart, uh, one more time on that. Yeah, Mikael did some exercise today and uh, felt better. Um, hoping he'll be able to go. Uh, don't know that yet. Uh, probably know more tomorrow. Javon was able to do more today. He felt the best he had. Uh, he did walkthroughs. He ran on the side. He did some scout period stuff. Um, didn't go good on good stuff but um, I, again those guys are going to be probably really close right there with Ladd and uh, Kendall so it could be into the weekend before we know so if we do like the algebraic equation on this and I tell you I don't know how optimistic I am about Ladd McConkey right now and Kirby Smart then says well Kendall's right there with Ladd and Mikel and Javon are right there with uh, the rest of them well then that perhaps equals something that's not great about any of those guys necessarily this is where I'm going to like try to make an assumption here, and admittedly I'm no medical professional, but 
you'd like to think Mikael Williams, after being apparently sick last week, you'd like to think that makes him healthy enough that he's able to be a pretty full contributor on Saturday. That may be an example, you would hope anyway, of Kirby perhaps sandbagging a little bit. At least that's my speculation there on that. And listen, we may get into this more before the week is done. Like One of the things that quietly has been pretty impressive for Georgia this year in a moment which they needed for it to be you know Georgia has a little bit of a history lately going back to certainly the 2022 season of really upgrading its pass rush when it was facing the best quarterbacks that it would see and right now there aren't many quarterbacks in the country playing better than Spencer Rattler and there's probably nobody in the SEC that's playing better than Rattler and yet second third and fourth quarters the other day you know Georgia really kind of neutralized him and it was an effective pass rush that enabled Georgia to be able to do that and Mikael Williams really kind of led a lot of the way there on that. So I think Mikael's a pretty important player for Georgia. I truly do. And I'm hopeful that he's a little healthier than Smart indicated right there because I do think that Georgia would have its efforts you know, on defense slowed down a little bit if, if Mikael Williams is not fully healthy to be a full go. So hopefully we get good news on that. The Bullard thing, I don't quite know what to make of that yet. But obviously, this is a Georgia team with a very long injury list. And I think we sometimes have a tendency to overrate the impact of one injury but underrate the impact of several injuries connected together. And right now, I do believe that Georgia's overall level of performance is negatively impacted by the players that it doesn't have to be able to put out there in the field right now. So getting some of these guys healthier and hopefully having some of that take place by Saturday, that's going to be pretty important. And that is Around the Doghouse, poured today by Dr. Pepper. Getting ready for another football weekend. Fansville commercials, I always think they're funny. I think it's one of the best campaigns I've ever seen. And obviously, no company seemingly loves college football more than our friends at Dr. Pepper do. That's why when I'm enjoying college football on a Saturday, uh, whether it be on my way to Athens or driving down to the Plains, you better believe, going to Auburn on a Saturday morning, I'll have me a cooler full of Dr. Pepper there in the car. Pop open a, a little Dr. Pepper as I'm driving. Y'all know how much I uh, love it. Kaylee Manzel, our producer today, at one point in time, had given me a case of Dr. Pepper for my birthday. I've now drank all of that. So uh, i got to restock the uh, the situation here at the, at the uh, studio in terms of our Dr. Pepper. But the point is, it's rich, it's flavorful, it's the one-of-a-kind taste of a Dr. Pepper, whether it's you know the original Dr. Pepper, Dr. Pepper Zero Sugar, the brand-new Dr. Pepper Strawberries and Cream. Just so many great ways to enjoy Dr. Pepper. It truly is the one fans deserve. So enjoy the, the 2023 season with uh, our good friends at Dr. Pepper. Great to have them as part of the Around the Doghouse here today. All right, busy for us. It's Jake Fromm before we're done. We will start a little bit of an early look at the big games of the upcoming weekend. An incredibly deep slate of action here in the SEC, which I'm really excited about. So we'll get to all of that here coming up in a minute. But before that, how healthy is Georgia right now? How dangerous is Auburn coming back home after a loss to Texas A&M last week? Let's cover all of those bases with Mike Griffith here as a part of a Georgia Farm Bureau Insider Update. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com Insider. We will say hello to a Mike Griffith here on uh, Dog Nation Daily in our Georgia Farm Bureau Insider update, taking a look at what's been going on at, at Georgia practice as the dogs get ready for Auburn on Saturday. And, Mike, we were just hearing some of Kirby Smart last night talking about some of the key injuries for Georgia. Do you get the sense this team is getting healthier as it gets ready for its first road game in the SEC? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, Lad's obviously not played this year, but, you know, they rested him a couple weeks. And they brought him back to practice this week. And, you know, the back injury, it's always game time decision. Um, that's going to be a minute to minute thing. I don't think anybody can forecast that. It's going to come down to how Lad feels in warm ups, I'd say. I haven't heard anything to think that's been a setback. It's a big one, okay? He's a game changer. 
um, more so probably than anyone else on the team right now. Uh, Michael Williams should be good to go. Uh, we know he was ill last week, but um, this is a guy that's been a little slowed by injury early, so I expect you're going to see him and his best form. I, I think you'll see Javon Bullard. I, I don't know that for a fact, but I'm still suspectful of that just based on what I've heard. Uh, certainly Javon will try to go. Uh, this is an all-hands-on-deck kind of game, and I know that we look at Auburn's record and you know we look at their offensive numbers last week and you know we kind of shrug our shoulders. Um, you know, but I shrugged my shoulders about UAB as a 41-point underdog, and yet I saw 21 points put up in Sanford Stadium and three touchdowns scored in Sanford Stadium for the first time in three years. I mean, I didn't expect that. Now, some people will say that maybe, you know, with all the guys that were out or the fact it wasn't a very good team, Georgia wasn't trying. I guess that's possible. Uh, but from what I've seen from this year's team, uh, there's questions that need to be answered. And I think playing on the road against a rival in a loud um, stadium like Auburn is going to present some different challenges uh, for these Bulldogs to prove once again um, that they're number one. Let me do two things in the injury front, and then we'll talk about some more of that type of stuff there. Of all the guys that we're kind of talking about, you know, that Kirby addressed last night, somewhat status uncertain, the one for this particular Saturday that's the most important for me is Mikael Williams. That's the one guy that I think – I think he had an amazing uh, second half against South Carolina the other day. Spencer Rattler right now is playing like the best quarterback in the SEC. And I thought that Georgia did a pretty good job, more than a pretty good job, a very good job of neutralizing him in the second half of that game. That shouldn't get lost. Mikhail Williams, I thought, was terrific at that. Auburn's terrible offensively. Uh, they're not even the same universe as South Carolina from an offensive standpoint, I don't think. But at the same time, hey, you want to make it easier on yourself. You know, I just think that Georgia's a different defense when Mikhail's in there. I'm like you. I assume an illness has probably had a chance to heal. Uh, and, you know, he's probably had a chance to kind of uh, convalesce on that and should be, I would assume, hopefully full go. But of all the guys we're kind of talking about, if I could wave a magic wand, speaking as a Georgia fan, and have a guy fully healthy and able to play at his best, absolute best, for this particular Saturday, uh, Mikael Williams would be the guy that I would want. Yeah, well, I mean, he's a you know future first-round pick and All-American, so I can certainly see why you'd say that. I think you know his ability to pass rush is, is what sets him apart. Um, I just don't know how much Auburn's going to throw the ball. They can run the ball pretty well, and I'm sure Michael will help a lot in that area. Um, I'm more concerned with Georgia's offense scoring points against Auburn than I am the defense. I mean, the defense is, to me, kind of got what you got. And I do think that Michael is, is a star and a difference maker. Maybe he can force a fumble or a turnover. But, you know, whereas South Carolina like to throw the ball a lot, I think these guys are going to try to run it. I don't know how much Robbie Ashford we're going to see versus Peyton Thurn. I don't know if we're going to see RPO return to Auburn um, with Hugh Freeze there, if he was maybe kind of you know making a reference to that in his press conference this week. Um, but I'm more concerned on the other side, Brandon. I, I don't I don't know how you know Georgia's going to move the ball and score on Auburn. I'm not saying that they're not going to. I'm saying I don't know how they're going to. You know, that A&M team with Bobby Petrino – and some pretty good offensive players, some offensive talent there. They they struggled to score. Uh, they didn't really that that twenty seven ten final score is kind of deceptive. That was a that was a tough game there for a minute, and it was at A and M. Uh, and you know Auburn's defense is, is is pretty salty. You know Kirby was talking about how they create havoc, and if there's one area, you know that Georgia's looked suspect in, um, at least statistically, it's when Carson Beck's put under pressure. And, you know, we saw that last week on a fourth and two pass when he kind of threw off his back foot um, on a fourth and two that brought a drive to an end. 
Uh, we saw it against South Carolina. You know, they were able to hold, you know, Georgia to three points in the first half and, and a couple of those drives in the red zone um, because the team wasn't able to stay balanced. You know, I guess that's why I leaned on the Lad McConkey thing because I thought, well, if Lad's back, it could help, you know, it's one more guy that can take the top off. Um, but, you know, I could see it being Michael as well. And bottom line, I think we're going to see a Rock'em Sock'em football game. So let me just say this quickly about Lad, then I will move on to a full-on preview of the game. Here's what concerns me a little bit. Sometimes when so-and-so is injured, there's the Kirby Smart line of we're hopeful to get him back. And what we realize is is that, okay, there's probably an internal timeline that's a little bit different than the external timeline in terms of when Georgia really expects to have so-and-so play or whoever it may have been throughout the years back. The sense that I get, and I said this to Connor Riley yesterday, and obviously there's a chance that I'm wrong, but the sense that I get get is is that's not quite what's going on with Lad McConkey here. I do think there's a little bit of uncertainty because, as you said, it is a back, and backs are weird. Most of us can sort of speak to that from our own lives. Uh, Lad's obviously much younger, much healthier uh, probably than I am, but we all can have some experience with that. Backs are just kind of a weird thing. And I get the sense that they don't quite know exactly what is going on with Lad McConkey and this idea of, well, the Auburn Road game has always been the one that's been circled for him to come back. As a Georgia fan, I hope that's true. But gosh, Mike, I can't be quite so certain that is. I mean, this is a guy that hasn't been putting on a uniform here the last few weeks and until this week hasn't been practicing at all. You know, I, I get the sense that there probably is a little bit more mystery surrounding the McConkey back injury than some of the other lingering injuries that have been kind of long-term storylines here for this team the last couple of years. Is that the sense that you get? It was. Um, this is where we get some Dog Nation Insider news for you. Um, but a couple of weeks ago, they, they found out what it was to a specialist, and, you know, they rested it. And it's not an atypical injury. It's common. Um, and it is it is tricky, and it is, you know – different for everyone you know for lack of a better word and so you know that's why he didn't practice for two weeks because rest was the prescription which is incredibly hard for a guy like lad to do um because we know he's a gym he we know he's a gym rat like the guy always wants to be on the field um so that's why they rested a couple weeks in rice practicing this week it's like okay let's give it another try you know early on it was you know practice practice fine fine and then tweak right practice practice fine fine tweak and so, you know, then, of course, you know, Georgia goes to every extent it can with all of its student-athletes when there's an injury. You saw the same thing with George Pickens. They seek out specialists, and they, they get a further diagnosis. And, um, and so that's why, the, you know, the, it was what it was. Now, will he play or will he won't play? I, 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 again, I'm pretty sure it's going to come down to how his back feels. I mean, you don't want to lose Lad McConkey in a game you win, you know, 31-10, to 10, um, you know, um, especially if they say, well, you know what, if you wait – Two more weeks, you really wait. You're really giving yourself another month, right? Can you beat Auburn and Kentucky without Lad McConkey? We know you can beat Vanderbilt without him, and then you got a bye week. Um, so that's that's kind of to me you know, a risk reward thing. And, and but ultimately, it comes down to the player health. You know, I was I was talking to um, another parent of a player in another team who's his son's got an ankle injury, and you know, is he going to go Saturday? Well, they don't know. They're going to tape him up. There won't be a risk of further injury, but he may not be a hundred but he really wants to play. NFL teams are looking to see how he plays. You know, it, it's, there's so many things going on. Um, but with Ladd McConkey, it's simply, is he healthy enough to play? It's, that's all it is. It's, they're, there's, they've diagnosed it. They know what it is. They've prescribed the rest. And now, you know, you try to practice this week and you see how it goes. And uh, It's just that simple. And, um, but, yeah, they know what it is now, and, and they are hopeful. But, again, it's, 
it's unpredictable. And, you know, like Kirby said, it's frustrating because you, you can't prescribe it. It's not like you can do, you know, any sort of extra exercise or extra therapy or take some magic pill. Um, you know, it either is or it isn't. All right, let's move on and do a full-on preview of the game here for a moment. And I think I kind of agree with something that I believe that you said a moment ago, which is I am very curious. I like to keep things simple when possible. I am very curious with the total number of points that Georgia scores on Saturday because they've clearly shown this year more than capable of scoring against UAB, played a pretty good game offensively, scored enough against UT Martin or you know Ball State. They've been in the 40s in all those games. Just 24 points, though, against South Carolina. And one of the hallmarks of the you know the two national championship offenses really the the offensive coordinator that led those Todd Munkin in 28 games against SEC competition uh Munkin's offense has averaged 37 points per game against SEC competition and so if you want to be able to score the kind of points you need to score in like the postseason games that really matter best way to show that's by putting up pretty big totals in these SEC games obviously scoring was a little bit of an issue for this team against South Carolina and the point we made on the show was not quite enough explosive plays to produce the kind of points that produce the kind of easy win that big scoring margins sometimes give you so to sort of begin with Mike and you touched on this a moment ago I'm just very interested to see how many points does Georgia score on Saturday because you know great teams even against you know certainly a you know better than average Auburn defense playing in its own stadium a great Georgia team or a great college football team is going to find a way to score there I'm curious to see can Georgia score enough on Saturday to give itself a little bit of margin in a game like this well it's you know you know this as well as I do it's it's a different team right I mean I'm looking at Todd Munkin the offensive genius and I think they scored 19 points against the Baltimore Colts or the Indianapolis Colts I mean it comes down to your personnel, and it's not a Carson Stetson thing, I don't think. I think it's more of a Marcus Rosemey Jack Saint, a Donnie Mitchell thing. It's uh, a healthy Kendall Milton, Kenny McIntosh versus, you know, Dejon Edwards, Cash Jones kind of thing. It's uh, Lad McConkey versus Dominic Lovett kind of thing. It's Broderick Jones versus Ernest Green, the third kind of thing. The supporting cast isn't as good. It's Oscar Delt versus Darnell Washington. The supporting cast isn't as good. I'll say it again. We can say this is the best wide receiver core since blah, blah, blah. We can say it 100 times. It's not true. It's simply not true. The results aren't there that warrant that. The passes go downfield. We're not seeing Dominic Lovett jump up and, and take balls away from people. We're not seeing that. That's not what he does. He catches passes. He runs after the pass. That's what he does. Um, that's the issue. The players aren't as good at the skill positions yet. Now, could they evolve? Absolutely. Um, could Ra Ra Thomas get more involved? I think I'm with you. I think there's a huge upside to this kid, and the more rah rah we see, the more I like. Um, you know, Aaron Smith flashes, but you know he's not perfect. And, and Kirby said that. You know, that ball that you know he thought maybe uh, could have been caught. Um, you know, he did catch one touchdown, make a nice move. But you know, Aaron Smith doesn't equal George Pickens, right? So you, your skill position players aren't as good or as proven or as experienced maybe as we've seen in the past. So that's why I have a hard time coming all the way down on Carson Beck. What I will say is that I don't know um, if Georgia can win a championship um, with a quarterback that's not a dual threat. I I wonder if you need more offense out of the backfield. Uh, Stetson was a guy that could extend plays. Stetson was a guy that could run. I don't think he was as accurate of a thrower as Carson. I don't think he was as consistent of a thrower as Carson. But he could certainly extend plays, and he could certainly make plays with his feet, and he was absolutely clutch. You know, he might look like hot garbage for three quarters, but with the game on the line, Stetson Bennett was a champion. 
and there's a quality to that. We haven't had to see that from Carson yet. Now, the second half of the South Carolina game was a pretty good test, and I thought he was fantastic. But he's only as good as his supporting cast. You know, and, and he said that in a recent interview, and I'm writing that story now. If guys are where they're supposed to be on time, he'll get it to them. I believe that. Um, but if this turns into a situation where Kirby looks and the supporting cast doesn't get better, then maybe he takes a look and says, well, maybe we need some mobility on the backfield. You know, maybe you need a guy that can run like a Brock Vandergriff because Vandergriff can run. He throws the ball pretty well. Um, the good news is Georgia's got a lot of great players. They've got really great coaches. And th- we know that Kirby makes good decisions, and he does what it takes to win championships. And I don't, many players, I don't think anybody would trade Kirby Smart for anybody in the country. At least you shouldn't. He's amazing. The statistic of the wins in 100 games has been vastly underplayed. To be an embarrassment to college game day that they haven't been here yet. I mean, you got a t- this year. You got a team, Brandon, that's won back-to-back national titles, that's won 20 straight home games, that's won 31 straight regular season, and you're not. You haven't been to Athens yet. You haven't been there to, to cover this team. You haven't been there to to find out, you know, about uh, who the new players are, the new stars, um, to, to soak in uh, the most dominant team of the college football playoff era. You know, and, and then we could point to other schools they've gone to and call them sideshows. But to me, I, I think it's an indictment of what game day's become that they haven't shown up in Athens yet. It's our Georgia Farm Bureau Insider Update with Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily. And, of course, we love college football. The folks at Georgia Farm Bureau do as well because they're just like us. They live right here in the state of Georgia. They're doing their life in our great state, and they understand the things that are important to you because it's the same stuff that's important to them there as well. And that's one of the reasons why it's great to trust them when it comes to your insurance needs, auto insurance, life insurance, home insurance. You know, they're folks, they're, they're claims adjusters, they're people that are out there taking care of you, volunteering here in our state, doing great work like that. They understand what matters to you, and that's why when we say you're doing business with Georgia Farm Bureau, you're doing business with a company that's always the home team. And if you want to find out how true that is, find them online. It's gfbinsurance.com. That's gfbinsurance.com. Talk to the folks from Georgia Farm Bureau. Uh, let them talk to you about the entire line of insurance insurance options they have for you that can help you uh, just maintain the the car that you're out there you know, driving to work in every day, the home that you're living in, where you're raising your family, making all those memories. Georgia Farm Bureau gets all of that. So find them online, gfbinsurance.com. That is gfbinsurance.com for a lot more. So, Mike, I'm going to finish on this point, and I think this is a thing that I'm sort of fine with. We've talked about this here a little bit the last couple of days. Starting to compare Georgia in 2023 to 2022, at least right now, this team is not dominating opponents the way that Georgia did through one month a year ago. And we've obviously got several more months left in the season for that narrative to change one way or another. The other good thing is, is right now in the country, no one's really all that dominant either. So uh, if I had a vote for like number one team in the country, I'd still give it to Georgia, I think, because I don't know that someone else is obviously, you know, pushed ahead or pushed Georgia aside here as of yet. But looking at now four teams in the AP poll on Georgia's schedule here coming up, road test at Auburn, we are moving into a different phase of the year where all of a sudden, hey, it's not about win with style points and show people how good you are. It's about just being good enough to win some of these games, check off the box, move on, and uh, put yourself in a position to survive on to the next thing and see if you can become dominant or elite before the season comes to an end. Obviously, it is going to be a very different storyline here in 2023 than what Georgia, I think, experienced for most of 2022. Uh, certainly different than the way Georgia finished in 2022. I mean, 
there were weeks last year, you know, versus Kent State and Missouri and Kentucky that they didn't look real pretty, you know. But I think the difference to me was last year there was a wider margin for error because that defense was so good, because you had number 88. You know, you see him dominating the NFL. Well, just think what these poor college guys were having to go through to try and block Jalen Carter. He's not there anymore, and nobody's filled his shoes. And it, nor, should, nor should we have expected that any more than, like Kirby said, you know, Kirby said it's impossible to replace Kenny McIntosh. He said you don't got another guy like Darnell Watt. These were special guys. But the fun part is, is that different guys are going to evolve off of this year's team. As the year goes on, we're going to learn more about different players who just haven't had the opportunity or haven't been pressed into that action. Um, but unfortunately, because of the number of injuries, um, and I do think Kirby has played it smart and conservative while trying to play some younger guys. He's trying to build that championship depth. You know, it, it, to me, it's like the best is yet to come, right? In other words, last year, man, they got shot out of a cannon in that Oregon game. They were so fantastic. Um, and then they, you know, every now and then there was a sputter, but when they sputtered, the defense was there to answer the bell and get them the ball back, whether it was shutting down Ohio State in the fourth quarter or shutting down Missouri late in the game and giving the offense time. I don't know that Carson Beck is going to have those, that margin for error. And so, therefore, I think more is on his shoulders, and I think he's got a tougher job than we've seen a Georgia quarterback have since Jake Fromm when Jake was here in 2019. And remember, how the receiving core had injuries and changed from week to week. Kirby talked about how that's happened this year, and I think that's affected Carson. So, um, no, they haven't looked as good as they did, certainly not as good as they did against TCU. It's kind of too bad you know, that that's the game everybody remembers. That's really not what last year was like. It was, you remember, Brandon, there was some stinkers in there when you went, oh, my God. But they'd also but, start. Know, but it's, it's about starting the season against Oregon, starting the season against South Carolina. So when you did have those drop-off games, you at least had something to compare it to where you knew the standard yes. that Georgia was capable of playing to. Yes. And maybe, maybe Auburn, wouldn't it be great if Auburn could be that game? Because yeah. they need it, and Kentucky's up next. And who knows what Kentucky you're going to get. They've got Florida this week. Are they going to have momentum or – I just, you know, my thing for George is, it sounds crazy. I know it sounds crazy, but it just get, just survive these next two games. I, it doesn't matter how ugly they are. Just win and then give Kirby the, you know, whatever the Vanderbilt, the bye week against Vanderbilt, and then the real bye week. Because I think this team will be locked and loaded by November. I really do. But right now there's been some injuries, and I think you've got a couple of challenging teams with a physical Kentucky and an Auburn team that I think is going to be better than a lot of people expect. Should be fun to see, Mike. Thanks for your time here as part of our Georgia Farm Bureau Insider Update. We will look forward to talking to you soon. All right, appreciate it. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, that's always the context that's really important if you want to make the comparison between seasons is that if Georgia goes up to the cold in Kentucky and doesn't play a, a brilliant game offensively, or if it seemed disinterested against Kent State or Samford a year ago, all of that happened after Georgia had throttled Power 5 opponents. And by the end of the year, South Carolina was pretty good, and Georgia beat them as bad as anybody could beat anybody. Just humiliated Oregon in Atlanta, scoring touchdowns on the first seven drives begin the game so anything that happened for Georgia after that came with the context of well we see how good Georgia is when it wants to be Tennessee it's like Oregon South Carolina get Georgia's best they kind of go into a cave for a little bit come out and I thought played a really good game against Tennessee and so you had this level of confidence that Georgia at its best could be better than anybody and 
if you want to use your own eyes as the judgment thus far this year, we don't quite have that same level of confidence because this is kind of earned by what we all see. And as Mike said, Saturday's the day to kind of show that. But we're also kind of moving into a phase of the season where I don't need to evaluate your win. I just need you to get it. You know, if you're a Georgia fan, give me one against Auburn. You know, give me one against Kentucky. You know, start looking ahead at some of these other games. You know, you know that's where it kind of comes down to of when you look at the next stretch of SEC games minus Vanderbilt, in a wet roundabout way just sort of winning is kind of enough and then uh we'll see what georgia kind of grows into from that we'll also talk to jake from here coming up in a moment great stuff from jake on today's show including some thoughts on georgia and auburn prior to that though let's go cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean one of the things i always thought was really fascinating when i first got to know a lot of the folks from royal caribbean and kind of you know just getting to know their perspective on things one of the things i always found to be really interesting was is that when you talk to them they were always very big on hey when it's time to book a royal caribbean cruise vacation make sure you use a great travel agent that the experience of using a travel agent for your royal caribbean cruise vacation uh doesn't cost you anything a and b it's going to give you the best possible experience of taking care of all the options because when you choose a cruise vacation it's the port that you sail out of it's the ship that you sail on it's the ports of call that ship visits it's the things you do while you're on board the ship there are so many variables and being you know kind of helping your vacation be booked by someone who understands all of that just makes the experience even better and so for us the travel agent specially selected by royal caribbean for us to book all of our cruise vacation needs is jessica slater once you give her a call 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 or jay slater at dreamvacations.com that's your email she can tell you about icon of the seas debuting in january she can tell you about uh utopia of the seas debuting in july she can tell you about the dog nation cruise in april so many great things happening for royal caribbean in 2024 and you can check her out on all of that we may have lost our music there but that's okay uh let's get ready to go cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean here right now and I want to kind of bounce through some of these games for the upcoming weekend because I think the slate of games in the SEC for Saturday is fascinating. We've got no cupcakes. It is all SEC on SEC battle and competition here. And I just kind of want to run through and give you some early thoughts on a lot of these games. I think that Florida-Kentucky is a pretty interesting game because this is a, I don't want to call it a rivalry, but it is a series. These two teams have been playing now for a long time. And for like three decades, it was Florida dominance over Kentucky. The last couple of years, Kentucky's found more success. And so when you think about Billy Napier, who's kind of teetering on the brink a little bit there with Florida, the Tennessee win, that rivalry win a couple of weeks ago helps him, but trying to find some way to be better than like the sort of like five and seven, missing a bowl game type projections that have been out there. A game against Kentucky is just paramount. It's pivotal. Kentucky's actually slight favorite at home here against Florida. I think you'd be hard-pressed, though, to find a 4-0 team right now that's proven less than Kentucky's proven. They've not played a great brand of football. Uh, they've had their offensive issues. Obviously, their offensive coordinator, Liam Cohen, has dealt with some uh, illness himself. And so I think of all the teams in the SEC, there's a little bit of chatter out there nationally about too many SEC teams being ranked, some of those being overrated. I think the easiest to point to, maybe Ole Miss, but other than that, probably Kentucky. Uh, that's a team that sort of feels like it's, I think, destined for a little bit of a comeback-to-earth moment. They're a slight favorite against Florida, but my early lean there is probably on Florida. They're in that spot. I think Billy Napier knows how bad he needs it. One of the things I caution you all on a lot is be careful about overreacting too much, and yet I probably have now stumbled into my own overreaction too. 
we saw A&M a couple of weeks ago lose at Miami, and it's like you want to condemn A&M immediately for that because this is the same old Texas A&M, struggling offensively, things like that. But upon further review, you kind of realize, actually, Miami may be pretty good. Van Dyke's a pretty good quarterback. I think Miami's going to be a factor in the ACC. That going on the road and losing to Miami right now for A&M might not necessarily be the kind of thing you have to apologize for necessarily. That A&M may actually shake that off and kind of be okay. Their performance against Auburn last week was far better than I expected to be. A&M, Arkansas has been a very interesting rivalry. Last year, obviously, a heartbreaking loss for Arkansas. Sam Pittman's another one of these guys. He needs wins where he can get them. Jimbo Fisher probably feels the same way. Surprisingly, Arkansas played it closer last week against LSU than I expected them to. And perhaps this is a chance for A&M to show folks that we know we lost at Miami, but that's a better team than you realize. And in other games against different competition, we actually are better than we've been. And Bobby Petrino is making a difference. Uh, we shall see. It was a lot of Max Johnson last week. I don't know what the quarterback situation looks like necessarily going into this game against Arkansas, but this is kind of a, a must-win game on both sides. Uh, Magnolia Bowl, we addressed this briefly a little bit yesterday. Uh, this is one of those games where Lane Kiffin, I think, wants to be very careful. Uh, Ole Miss fans, just, their response to Kiffin, I mean, is just so different than the media's response to Kiffin. You know, one of the things that kind of aggravate you sometimes when you look at the college football landscape it just seems like there's this like firewall that exists between how fans view the sport sometimes and how the media that covers the sport views the sport and Lane Givens treated like he's one of the very best coaches in the entire sport but I'm not even really sure Ole Miss fans necessarily feel that way about their guy right now it just seems like he's interested in everything sometimes but you know giving a solid game plan and a chance to win games like this for Ole Miss Magnolia Bowl I think is a pretty big deal here and for LSU you know I have said, bouncing back from the Florida State loss, I thought they'd be in a little bit better position. The Mississippi State game certainly suggests they were. Barely beat Arkansas last week. So a little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde type team right now. Perhaps we learn a lot more about LSU on Saturday against Ole Miss. This is a fun rivalry game. It should be fun to see. And another game that I am fascinated by is South Carolina and Tennessee. And this is one of those deals where I will flat out tell you, I think that everything that Josh Heupel has done thus far in now going on three years at Tennessee, I think Shane Beamer's done just as much. I really do. And I don't think there's like some sort of like intentional bias against Beamer. I just don't think it's perhaps been noticed quite as much that that Heupel has been treated like he's revolutionized Tennessee. And a lot of that just simply came because their big win came relatively early last season, and it was enough because they were undefeated to get uh, – Tennessee to number one and so therefore that gave Tennessee a sense of cachet that you know South Carolina's had a hard time matching but the big win that Tennessee got against Alabama South Carolina's version of that was against Clemson South Carolina also beat Tennessee head-to-head a year ago and I think there are a lot of people that assume that big home environment scoring nearly 70 points that this is some sort of revenge game for Tennessee perhaps it is but I'm not quite so sure Tennessee's good enough to just sort of go out there and say hey we get revenge just because we want it I'm Shane Beamer in South Carolina. There's a certain aspect of this game that's a little bit personal for me because I do see all the attention the Vols have been getting. And I think it's fair if you're a Gamecock to say, why not us? What have they done that's so much better than what we've done? And Shane Beamer has a chance to sort of send that message again on Saturday, albeit much tougher environment in uh, Knoxville on Saturday. I'll briefly say this too. You know, the most watched game this past weekend was once again Colorado. You can say what you want about Deion Sanders and what, what Colorado is doing on the field. 
But in terms of attention being garnered around the rest of the country, it is obvious how excited people have been about what Dion's doing there at Colorado. Now, they play as another big underdog this week against USC. And the one thing I think you wonder is, well, if they lose this game again, does some of that hype start to start to die down? At that point in time, you know, will people kind of get off the Colorado train? I think it's probably too early to tell. But getting blown out by Oregon on Saturday was apparently not enough to get people to tune out. Once again, massive, massive TV audience. Pretty clearly, the Dion Shador Sanders story there for the Buffaloes, even if the team itself ends up not being very good, the story in terms of how it's been received by the rest of the college football world has been amazing. It's been fantastic. And we will make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And as promised, we'll get a chance right now to hear from the former Georgia quarterback Jake Fromm as a part of our Kroger Fresh Take right now. And here on Dog Nation Daily, time now for a Kroger Fresh Take as we talk to the former Georgia quarterback Jake Fromm here on the program today. And uh, Jake, it's obviously Georgia and Auburn coming up on Saturday. And for your family, this game's taken a little bit different meaning the last few years. Uh, what's it like to be a part of a house divided now with your brother Tyler playing at Auburn? Obviously, you, a former Georgia player, a little bit of uh, disagreement within the family ranks here this week. <laughs> hey, Brandon, what's going on? Thank you for having me. Um, no, no, not not too many family disagreements. It's uh, it's always a good. And then two, my brother played at the same time. So uh, man, it's always great. I actually went to a game there earlier this year. Got to uh, see Auburn at home play. So man, it's just fun. Any opportunity you get, you get to have to to watch your dog to, to watch a blood relative. Uh, didn't get any better than that. No doubt about that. That's the case. I mean, we'll look back on your career. I think one of the things that stands out is how well you played in so many of Georgia's biggest rivalry games. That was just one of the things throughout your career you were very good at. Uh, obviously, you had some memorable moments there against Auburn as well. Like, Where do you think this rivalry stands kind of in comparison to some of the other ones that Georgia has? And as a guy who played in this series, what in particular did Georgia-Auburn mean to you? Yeah, it was always a big deal to me. I mean, it's the Deep South oldest rivalry. Um, I mean, there's obviously a lot riding on the game. Usually when we played, it was later in the year. Um, so it's kind of a, a big deal to basically uh, cement yourself in that SEC championship. Um, and it was, uh, it was always a tough game, man. We were always going against, uh, like, Derek Brown, those guys up front. They just always had some dudes up front. Uh, it was always really tough to run the ball. We always knew we had to have a uh, really good plan coming in. Um, and then anytime we played them on the road at their place, we knew it was going to be loud. We knew it was going to be hectic. Uh, they were always going to bring a great crowd. So one of the things I think that Georgia fans have a little bit of a sense of is that Kirby Smart, you know, he's a Georgia alumnus. He's kind of a fiery guy anyway. He seems to, even though like in his public remarks, doesn't really always say this, but the the actions, the behaviors would lead you to believe that uh, that Kirby Smart kind of understands the Georgia rivalries, appreciates getting those wins. Like going into a Georgia-Auburn, and as you said, in your career it had been late in the season, it's a chance to cl- either clinch the SEC East like y'all did in 2019 or there are other stakes perhaps on the line. It's a little bit different now because it's earlier in the year. But how much talk would there be about playing a big rival and being kind of an extra level of motivation? How much of that would there be during a practice le- leading into a game like this? Yeah, Coach Moore always did great on his messaging throughout the week, you know, because you play Auburn, you play Florida, you play Tennessee, you play South Carolina, and, and every single different rival has their own, you know, little uniqueness to it. Um, and just kind of the messages that he would come out, you know, each one of those weeks. Obviously the goal is always win the game, 
Uh, you just want to be able to, you know, compete at your own level and, and to win. But he always did a great job with the messaging on getting just every little bit of ounce he could out of us uh, to get that extra little bit of motivation. Yeah, no doubt about that. Are you concerned at all that – so when you look at the current landscape of college football, like it's not even a guarantee that Georgia and Auburn play every year anymore going forward. There's the future of the SEC schedule is still a little bit in flux. And I would say that the nature of like the college football playoff and the fact that Georgia's gotten to be so good and some of these programs have kind of suffered because of that, it seems like some of these rivalry games maybe quite don't mean what they once did. It's still a pretty big deal to me, but you get the sense that while, hey, Every Georgia game is a big deal no matter who it's playing. The rivalry games don't quite seem to mean the same thing sometimes they do when I was a kid. Do you get the sense there is a sense in which that's true, and are you concerned about the fact that all of the change that's taking place around college football right now, you know, perhaps that's having a little bit of an impact on some of the traditions that have been special to us? Yeah, I think um, before the the transfer portal and NIL really got – all out of hand here in the last couple of years. Um, a lot of times guys were just going to school because of the love of the tradition of the school itself. You know, uh, you, you, you went because, you know, your dad went, your uncle went, somebody went, you grew up watching them play, so you understood the rivalries that were built into that, that program and that university. So I, I, I hate to kind of see it go away a little bit because that, to me, that that's, that's what college football is about. You know, that's what week 12, Thanksgiving week, So along those lines, I guess let me ask you before we change the subject here, where would you rank, you know, Georgia's biggest rivals? What order would you put them in? Oh, tough question, Brandon. Oh, man. Um, gosh, I, I think uh, – uh, let's go uh, Florida, Auburn, Tennessee. Um, I like it. I mean, to I me, Florida's got to be the top, right? Because that, yeah. that that's the one game moving forward you know that Georgia's going to play every single year. And plus, right. I just think there's a different level of passion there. I think that Auburn's sometimes close, but I don't think it surpasses Florida. We make a pretty big deal about the Florida rivalry here in the show just because we like doing that for fun. But I think the proof yeah. is kind of in the pudding here that there is a – that there's a level of an intensity there that I think is higher than anything else. But I do think – I think that Auburn's a, a, is a strong number two, though. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, like, you know, you take Tech kind of for granted just because the years they've had recently, but um, that wasn't always a, uh, a shoe-in win, yeah. you know, back in the day. So um, th- th- there's a lot of good ones. And then, too, with this SEC expansion, I, I think it'll be neat to, to have some, some new blood in there, yeah. um, you know, and, and get to see, you know, how we do versus Texas, you know, here, here going on. So, um that's college football. It's ever changing, but you do. I do like to have a little bit of tradition, and a little bit of security in a, in a few of those rivalries. No, I think that's a good point. Moving on here, last Saturday we saw the Georgia offense. I think play better. Not a perfect football game, but they were six for six in the red zone. They put up forty plus points. Carson Beck seemed as comfortable and poised as he has all year long. Did you see improvement from Georgia on Saturday? Yeah, I think in that game they they did exactly what they wanted to do. They checked all the boxes. Like you said, they were good in the red zone. They were good on third down. Uh, Carson was throwing 
these deep balls very well. They completed some, you know, a few drops here and there. But uh, all in all, if you look at the totality of the game, uh, they were firing on a lot, on a lot of cylinders. So um, I think that's a, a great feeling for them as an offense to be able to go into the meat of their schedule um, feeling good about themselves. But, man, they're going to get tested. Um Throughout the year, they're going to get tested on Saturday too, going into Auburn. Yeah, uh, they've had they've had four home games in a row. It's going to be uh, it's going to be fun to watch how they react and how they adapt to going on the road. Silent count, crowd noise, um, all the different things. So it's going to be uh, very interesting to watch, and they're going to get tested early. The thing that I was just blown away by on Saturday once again is just how good Brock Bowers is. You know, it's 120 yards, oh, yeah. a couple of touchdowns. He goes over 2,000 yards for his career, and I just don't think, Jake, you can say it too many times, this is one of the truly special players to ever play at, George. And I know it's only UAB and, you know, whatever else, but he does this basically against everybody, and he can certainly seem to do it anytime he wants to. This is a guy that just refuses to be tackled sometimes, and I tell you, it's a real joy to watch. As a player yourself, like, how amazed are you by just what he's capable of doing? Man, every time he gets the ball in his hands, you just know he's going to break one tackle, two tackles, get these yards after catch. He never stops playing. He finishes. He shows up on tape everywhere. Um, just a guy who just plays so hard. You know, like when you go back and think in the old days about, man, this guy just, he, he was just a football player and he plays hard. That's the, the modern day Brock Bowers. And, man, if I'm teaching anybody how to play football, just in general, I'm turning on the tape and I'm, I'm showing them. Uh, just clips of Brock Bowers. I want to ask you a bigger picture question about the broader, I guess, landscape around the country here in a moment. Let me remind folks before we do, though, it's our Kroger Fresh Take with the former Georgia quarterback Jake Fromm here on Dog Nation Daily here today. And obviously, Kroger's got you set up for all kinds of fun things here this weekend. And if you want more time to enjoy the football that you love and maybe more money to spend on some of the tailgate parties and things like that that you're a part of, one of the great ways to get more of the things you love is with a new membership opportunity from Kroger. It's known as Kroger Boost. If you go to kroger.com slash boost you can try boost for free right now for 30 days and when you're a part of the kroger boost membership program you get free grocery delivery twice the fuel points when you're shopping and buying the things you're already buying there at your local kroger so try it by going to kroger.com slash boost for more information that's kroger.com slash boost for more information all right jake we'll finish up with this It seems like right now to me that Georgia is perhaps not quite as dominant through four games this year as it would have been a year ago. Doesn't mean they can't still win the national championship. I believe they probably still will, but it's a little bit of a different feel. And yet around Georgia, I'm not quite so sure where the supposedly dominant team is right now. There are some good teams. Ohio State got a good win over Notre Dame. Uh, Washington's played really well here thus far this year. Texas has won at Alabama. You know, Florida State's got a couple of pretty interesting wins here right now. So there is clearly some good, fun football being played. But that obvious dominant team who's better than Georgia, I don't really see them right now. And yet Georgia also has plenty to work on, too. It seems like it's setting up to be a really entertaining next few months what do you make right now of where georgia fits into the overall national landscape look i am I'm, I'm with you I, in college football right now i never thought we would say this in the world of, of nil and the transfer portal but i think there's a lot of parody going on in the college football world right now um i i do think georgia's still number one um but i i think this could be anybody's college football season i mean there's a lot of good teams out there uh, you know, we can kind of write off Alabama early, but I still, I still feel they're going to be able to find a way to scrap some wins out, and they'll probably end up finding their way 
uh, into the SEC championship. I mean, but LSU is still a really good football team. FSU is a fo- good football team. Texas, uh, USC, uh, Oregon, uh, Michigan, Ohio State, you know, and, and even Notre Dame. I, I, that was Notre Dame's game to win there mm-hmm. until the very end when they had 10 guys on the field. So I think it's going to be a very, very fun college football season getting into the later months. Um, and then this college football playoff I think is going to be pretty pretty wild. Yeah, I can't wait for it, Jake. Really good stuff. Thank you for being here as part of our Kroger Fresh Take today. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll look forward to doing this with you again very soon right here on Dog Nation Daily. Yes, sir, Brennan. Thank you. Really good stuff from Jake Fromm, talking about the nature of the Georgia-Auburn rivalry and kind of what Georgia does to prepare for these rivalry games. Always really compelling to hear from a guy who's played in moments like that to give you a real level of insight on that as we said off the top of the show Kirby may say one thing publicly about a lot of these rivalries but privately we know how driven he is to win all the games that Georgia plays the big rivalry games included I'll also say this before we wrap things up here today a couple of things first of all to follow up on our SEC through from a moment ago as we've been on the air today reports coming to College Station that Connor Wegman the starting quarterback for Texas A&M lower leg injury not going to miss the rest of the season so Max Johnson who had transferred to A&M from LSU looks like it's going to be his job there in college station so once again backup quarterbacks becoming a pretty big story in the sec as johnson gets the reins in college station now that uh, wegman's going to miss the uh, rest of the year so that'll be an impact on that a&m arkansas game on saturday also a quick shout out to our friends at the finish long drink here there as well you're getting ready to enjoy a great football weekend wonderful tailgate time of year well guess what finish long drink always goes great with your college football tailgate including the brand new peach flavored version of the finish long drink there as well so go online thelongdrink.com and see where you can pick some up put in your zip code and you can find out where you can buy this ready to drink cocktail today you like mixed drinks this is a mixed drink in a can and the brand new peach flavored version right here in the peach state for a limited time is a wonderful thing to try so try the finish long drink online at thelongdrink.com and to uh, wrap up here, a couple of uh, good golden shoes for us here today. Let me show you the uh, first one on the screen here. Uh, Ness Baldazon, who was part of our Dog Nation cruise, we had a great time with Ness there on that, uh, writes in to say that he's finishing a nice little dram here of a uh, good-looking bourbon and watching my dogs for a second time. Hey, a little Georgia rewatch, a little bourbon going pretty well together for nest there uh good stuff and a good part of our dog nation cruise back in april we always get to know folks really well when they come on board our dog nation cruise good people having a good time we had a bunch of good dog fans on board royal caribbean last april can't wait for that upcoming dog nation cruise this april there as well so nest we'll give you a golden shoe there for that and our other one how about mad dog we laughed at ryan day a little earlier this week about the idea of ohio versus the world well, Mike the Mad Dog writes in to say, looks like it's continuing to be Ohio against the world. You see uh, Ryan Day trying to lift the whole world on his back there. Uh, yeah, I'm not quite so sure that little grandiose idea on the part of Ryan Day is necessarily true, but nice to see Mad Dog having some fun with that. We'll give him a golden shoe there as well. I'll remind you, speaking of Georgia rivals, the worst of them all, the lousy stinking Gators. Georgia, 31 days from right now in Jacksonville, beating up on Florida. We love that. That's our Gatorator countdown. We'll see you tomorrow at Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Past Management.